This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, March 14, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. As many individuals and businesses face a short-term cash crunch as Americans do the right thing and enter a voluntary quarantine, banks that are seeking to provide assistance will no longer face certain regulatory scrutiny for doing so. On a broader level, however, a leading presidential candidate and a former Secretary of Labor seem hopelessly confused about a key difference between liquidity and solvency. Cato's Diego Zuluaga, isolated in his home, offers his thoughts. As this uh, coronavirus crisis takes hold, uh, a lot of uh, public services have said, well, we're not, we're going to uh, stop water shutoffs. Um, uh, a lot of uh, New York has just uh, in- implemented a measure to uh, end evictions, at least temporarily. What guidance do banks have with respect to uh, individuals who are cash-strapped in this environment? Well, yesterday, two of the main banking regulators, the Office of the Controller of the Currency and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, issued guidance telling banks that if they decide to forbear debt, to delay payments on debt, to suspend certain fees or waive them in the context of the coronavirus crisis, that bank examiners won't look askance at the kind of behavior that they won't consider it endangering banks' balance sheets. And that was meant to reassure banks that I think are looking to help consumers who are increasingly facing liquidity issues and potentially in the future may face solvency issues, at least some of them, as a result of income shortfalls, um, emergency expenses, and various other life circumstances that, that are shocks that weren't predicted before the outbreak. I don't think there is a problem with that particular guidance. It is good to reassure financial institutions about what will and will not harm them in future examinations. It should be noted, though, that this is behavior that is standard operating procedure for financial institutions because they want to do well by their customers and they want to keep them. And also, most financial institutions have cash and other forms of immediate liquidity that they can resort to in the event of of an emergency. And they also have capital that reassures shareholders and others that they will be able to withstand a shock of this nature. For the benefit of listeners, and there there have been some people who are, I think, intentionally uh, conflating these issues, uh, what is the difference between liquidity and solvency? A liquidity problem is a mismatch between the inflow of funds and the outflows of it. So if you make $3,000 a month, you pay $1,200 in rent, and you spend $1,500 on other expenses, you have more income than you have expenses every month. But if you have your expenses coming in at the beginning of the month and your income only at the end, you may need some sort of device to bridge that liquidity gap in the meantime. And most people use credit cards, they use personal lines of credit and various other instruments to do so. Now, on the other hand, if, you, if your income is 2500 then no longer is it just an issue of the timing of payments. It's an issue of the sustainability of your finances in the medium term, because you are consistently spending more than you earn. The importance of this in the context of the coronavirus crisis is that we will have a significant portion of Americans who will have payments delayed as a result of the crisis, potentially reduced for a period of time. And they may also have additional emergency expenses so that they face immediate liquidity issues as a result. Most of these people can make use of the credit that they have access to, but some people 
have already maxed out their credit cards. They may not have easy access to other forms of credit. It should be noted that about half of Americans revolve some credit card balance each month. And so uh, it's important in, in these circumstances to consider other ways, and financial institutions are doing so, to enable households to bridge the gap. Now, that doesn't mean forgiving debt. It doesn't mean necessarily waiving fees or reducing interest. It means simply extending it in consideration of the fact that this is an exceptional situation. Now, if some of those liquidity problems evolve into solvency issues, say because some people become unemployed, because some people just find themselves permanently worse off as a result of the crisis, their income never goes back to what it was before the crisis, then you have to deal with those issues on an individual basis. But now is not the time to think about debt restructuring and debt forgiveness, certainly not from a policy perspective. Bernie Sanders, uh, Robert Reich, former Secretary of Labor, and Andrew Yang, a recent former presidential candidate, all sort of uh, drew attention, and this is more a, a macro issue than it is for uh, individuals, but they would point out, hey, look, the, there was a massive amount of student loan debt, $1.7 trillion outstanding, and yet um, the central bank has injected $1.5 trillion into the banking system, and uh, this is, these are meant to be roughly equivalent measures, or, or these, these could be roughly equivalent actions, that is, forgiving all student loan debt versus uh, adding this uh, cash into the banking system. Well, they're making a major mistake in conflating the two, because the $1.5 trillion cash injection, so-called, by the Federal Reserve is a loan. It's a short-term loan to banks that are members of the Federal Reserve with a very specific purpose in mind, which is in moments when the market's very volatile and when people may be subject to fire sales of assets, people may be selling stocks, institutional investors may be moving from relatively risky to relatively safer assets, uh, you want markets to be liquid, to be still working, for there to be transactions happening rather than markets seize up. One phenomenon that was much commented upon last week, which is relatively unprecedented, is that the market for U.S. Treasuries, which are the ultimate safe haven asset because of the faith and credit of the United States and the, the dollar status as a uh, global reserve currency, that those were less liquid than one would imagine. The yield on Treasuries actually went up slightly last week. And the Fed, remarking upon this, I think, engaged in these uh, liquidity injection operations to try and reassure markets. And, uh, and the way these loans work is that financial institutions will post some of that treasury debt as collateral. And in exchange, they get a short-term cash loan from the Fed, but they have to repay it. And they pay interest on that, even though it's a short-term loan. So these are uh, loans from the Federal Reserve, part of its uh, regular macro and monetary operations. They're not a spending item, and they're nothing like what uh, some uh, policymakers have called for uh, in terms of student loan debt forgiveness or Medicare for all, which would be a permanent increase uh, in either the national debt or regular ongoing spending by the federal government. It's a completely different measure. For firms that are facing collapsing revenues, I imagine uh, airlines, uh, other, other companies that for, for one would like to keep their people employed uh, they're difficult to replace uh, after a crisis. There are costs associated with that. Uh, it's also doing right by your employees in a sense. Um, what does that in cash injection, those short-term loans, what, do, what function do, do those perform? Well, there are various ways in which those short-term loans make it into the quote-unquote real economy. 
In the first place, you want banks to have enough cash so that if companies need to make payroll and they and they need to pay their suppliers, that they have uh, enough liquidity in the medium term. We come back to this concept of liquidity to be able to meet those payments. Um, in addition to that, you want there to be a market for short-term financial instruments that is stable and that is uh, not affected by uh, the immediate actions of everybody reacting to rapidly moving events. Um, we are so far, fortunately, in a, in a situation in which the economy has been relatively strong and healthy uh, for a long time. Uh, corporates, particularly larger firms and financial institutions, are able to bridge liquidity gaps better than households and workers. And so this is a way by which you um, ensure that inflows of funds keep getting to the people who may need them uh, without disruption to the wider financial system. But again, this is not a spending measure. It's not a stimulus measure. It's a liquidity measure. It's to reassure people that what they expect coming in to meet their regular expenses will still be coming in. It's very different from a stimulus package that, say, would send $500 to every American household in a bid to increase spending. This is not the time to do that, precisely because this being a health crisis, what you want is people to reduce their activity. You don't want them to be spending more outside. You don't necessarily want to increase economic activity because we're in a containment phase for the epidemic. So calls for a stimulus are entirely misplaced. This is not, in economic parlance, a shock to aggregate demand. This is not a shock to spending. It's a shock to supply, to production. And so it's a very deliberate shock because production is stopping so that contagion stops. So we need to wait until that's over to consider the options in terms of where aggregate demand needs to be in the future. But for now, these liquidity operations should be the prime instrument. It's worth uh, noting here that for a lot of people uh, for whom a payroll tax cut would apply, and that's one of the ideas that have been uh, thrown around uh, by folks at the White House, that would encourage people to continue working. Well, that's right. That's one consequence of that. It, it also encourages people to spend more. And it's, it's, it's a stimulus measure. I'm not convinced that, that this is the moment to engage in that kind of uh, activity. Uh, it, it's, it may be in the future, and you know, any tax cut is, is welcome, uh, temporary or permanent, particularly permanent ones. But this um, particular type of measure is not one that is well suited to dealing with the situation we have, which is a reduction in economic activity that is deliberate, that is trying to deal with a health emergency. And what you want is people to be able to meet their regular commitments uh, as smoothly as possible uh, by delaying payments, by enabling the flow of credit and so on. That doesn't mean, for example, you would cancel interest on loans. The Trump administration has announced its intention to uh, eliminate interest on student loans for the period that this health crisis lasts, at least. And some Democratic policymakers have responded by upping the ante and saying what we need to do is cancel student loans. Well, both of those measures are beside the point. What you need to do is make it possible for people who um, may find themselves in a situation where they cannot make this month's payment to be able to delay it. And you'll deal with the fact of whether they were able to meet the interest payment or not in the future. And you will deal with the insolvent when this crisis is over. But this doesn't mean a blanket uh, cancellation of payments because that doesn't, that, that doesn't help anyone. It may, in fact, increase uh, financial instability. Diego Zuluaga is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.